From Washington, D.C., the swamp itself, this is The Week's Worst with Allen and Vadum. I'm Dr. Stephen J. Allen, Vice President and Chief Investigative Officer of the Capital Research Center. I'm Matthew Vadum, Senior Vice President of Capital Research Center and Editor-in-Chief of BombThrowers.com. This is our podcast in which we dig through the news for stories that we think are the most outrageous, the most ridiculous, the worst. We do it so you don't have to. And Matthew, you're going to be talking about the inauguration. Isn't it amazing that we're now in the Trump era? I just, it, it's always been, it's been surreal to me that he actually won on November the 8th. Uh, uh, and, you know, he's actually the president now, just just uh, barely two-thirds of a mile away from our office here at Capitol Research Center. And uh, it, it still hasn't really sunk in. Yeah, I, I, I still occasionally go onto YouTube and look at the at the the video from election night and the shocked expressions of the people at, at the Clinton campaign headquarters and you know it's just sort of it's sort of good to see the privileged and the powerful and 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 the people who were there uh, who support the privileged and the powerful and support the most crooked politician in American history Hillary Clinton and to see them uh, the, the reactions on their faces as everything sort of slips away and, and you can go on different TV channels, NBC, CBS, NBC, Fox, etc., and you see uh, all around the same time as when uh, when everybody started to realize what was going on and what a surprise it was on election night uh, between 9 o'clock Eastern time and about 10.30, and it really hit around 9.30 p.m. Eastern time was when people really started to appreciate it. So then you carry it forward to this the inauguration, and you think of all this, all, you know, after all this time has passed that people would get over their uh, their disappointment, their their anger, but no, not at all. No, not at all. And now the people who didn't support Donald Trump in the election are beginning to realize that President Trump actually intends to fulfill his campaign promises. And this is, well, revolutionary, wouldn't you say, Dr. Allen? Yeah, that's uh, it's very unusual. People are sort of shocked that he's doing the things that he said he was going to do. I and mean, there, you have a few things that maybe haven't been done yet, or uh, that have been fiddled with in terms of the promises, turning those into reality. But I got to tell you, I've never seen a president uh, as as strictly following his uh, campaign promises as uh, Donald Trump. I, I'll give you an example. Every Republican president always promises to move. The uh, embassy uh, for Israel to Jerusalem. They recognize that as but the, the as but the capital. But they don't really mean it. But they don't mean it, mean it. And you've had several re- Republican presidents who've gotten elected on that promise, and none of them ever even took a step to do that. And I can see Donald Trump doing that. Well, he already seems to be acting like he like he really does want to do it. So that's uh, that's this is a new experience in uh, in uh, modern Amer- American politics. A politician who actually says what he means and tries to uh, fulfill his campaign promises. Now, this has led to uh, anticipation of the arrival of the Trump administration, has caused a lot of turmoil in D.C. and the rest of the country. And this was dealt with with, with our movie, our 20-minute documentary that launched uh, eight days ago and has now got, what, uh, closing in on 300,000 views, maybe 280,000. It's very, very successful um, for um, uh, our 20-minute uh, uh, mini-documentary uh, that's called America Under Siege, 
Civil War 2017, which you can view at our website, capitalresearch.org, or at our documentary division website, which is dangerousdocumentaries.com. And uh, uh, we invite you to go there and watch this and, and see um, Trevor Loudon, one of the world's leading experts on left-wing organizations, uh, dissect the the J20 disrupt crowd who were trying to prevent, at first, President Trump from being sworn in. Now, of course, we, everybody knows that that, that was never going to happen, but they wanted to make it as unpleasant and inconvenient uh, for him. Uh, they wanted to have, like, crowds shouting in the streets and throwing Molotov cocktails and and, and doing all sorts of other horrible things. And they were, they were hoping to force the inauguration in uh, indoors uh, so that it wouldn't be celebrated. Uh, uh, but they didn't succeed. And something else that people don't seem to uh, uh, have been focusing on is that the inauguration uh, festivities are not a celebration of the person who is becoming president. The inauguration ceremonies are first and foremost a celebration of our constitutional order, of the peaceful transfer of power uh, between um, pers- between individuals, between presidents. Uh, uh, you know, there there was a lot of sneering and hostility between President Obama and President Trump in the transition period, but we didn't actually have um, an outbreak of, of physical violence, as is common in many countries during the transition period. And that, of course, is something that goes back to the early days of this country, because people were wondering, should we, you know, should we have a president for life? Uh, that was a, a common view among the founders, was uh, that we should have a president for life, but then others prevailed to have a limited-term president. And then, of course, when George Washington came in, he could have he could have been president for life simply by getting himself elected and, and reelected till the end of his life, but he chose to stop being president. And that was one of the most amazing moments in American history and really set the tone. And since then, Nobody uh, other than Franklin Roosevelt uh, has been president for more than two terms, and uh, that's sort of a tradition, and of course it was eventually written into the Constitution to limit the president to two terms. But the idea that you voluntarily give over power, uh, that's a celebration that's like the 4th of July. That's not any particular political party. And so for the, the elitists uh, in, in Hollywood to be putting pressure on people, telling people in the entertainment business that if you show up at the at the Trump inauguration, uh, well, you'll never you'll never eat lunch in this town again. That's uh, that's just it's that is very much un-American. That it's goes against cr- the spirit of this country. Crazy authoritarian intimidation. That's what it is. And we saw the the mindset of these people. First of all, there were there were hundreds of arrests, uh, not far from where we are right now. Uh, there were you know people throwing uh, uh, rocks through the Starbucks window, the McDonald's window. I've eaten at the McDonald's, and uh, uh, but but then afterward. Uh, you had the the march, the women's march, the day after, and of course that brought out a lot. Which of I'm the told is a completely well. separate event that has nothing to do with the the disruption, uh, the disruptor activists. Well, you know, all these groups are connected, and of course that's one of the things we do here at Capital Research Center is we show the connections between all the different uh, radical groups and the the violent groups, extremist groups, and so on. I was actually at the women's march inadvertently last Saturday, January 
21st, I was going to, and this is such a delicious irony, I was going to Joe's Seafood, where upstairs they were having a reception, hosted by Eagle Forum, honoring their late <laughs> great leader, Phyllis Schlafly, a real uh, American original, a, a female uh, political trailblazer who essentially uh, single-handedly stopped the Equal Rights Amendment, the misnamed Equal Rights Amendment, in the 1970s. And she was a force to be reckoned with and, uh, uh, and an ardent Trump supporter. Her book, um, I think it was called The Case for Trump, came out the day after she died a few months ago. Um, uh, so she never got to see Trump elected, but, but she was uh, very sincere in her support. And she almost got ousted from her organization. Uh, people on the board of Eagle Forum were, were not upset when she gave a full-throated endorsement to Donald Trump. But, but it was, as I said, such a delicious irony to be at this reception while, all the, while the freak show was outside, the, the women's <laughs> march, with uh, people wearing their so-called uh, pussy hats, pink uh, snow caps with little po uh, pointy ears, supposed to be cats, uh, I guess. And this was in response to um, that old remark that surfaced uh, during the campaign of Donald Trump uh, making vulgar remarks, saying, saying um, you know, grab him by the pussy. Uh, and we don't know if he did. He was just, you know, it seemed like just male uh, bonding, male, you know, bragging, sexual bragging, locker room talk. But that's what created this meme uh, with the with all the pussy cats uh, and all the the and all the um, the jokes that uh, that that came out of that. Which the, the Trump... they were outside chanting, "We are the popular vote. We are the popular <laughs> vote." And I'm not sure what they intended to accomplish by that. They certainly weren't the majority in a four-way presidential race. No one got a majority of the popular votes. Right. And the votes that were cast for either Trump or for candidates to the right of Trump, uh, those added up to more than the votes cast for the liberal or, or leftist candidates. So, so they right, for Hillary plus yeah, Jill Stein. You could say the conservatives got more votes than the liberals in, in that race, and that's absolutely true and undisputable. Uh, but yeah, it's it's interesting uh, that you mentioned the Equal Rights Amendment. Uh, just as an aside, I I covered some of that uh, debate, and I remember they there were certain things that were said that if the Equal Rights Amendment passed, it, that might happen. And people on the other side they debunked that. They said absolutely not. That would never happen in a million years, and we, we don't want that, and that will never happen. We won't allow it. And those specific things were that you would have same-sex marriage, that you would have uh, women in the military and even in combat, uh, and uh, that you would have uh, problems with uh, people going to the bathroom as to which bathroom they would be allowed to go to. And those were three very specific things. So uh, whether you So we got the ERA— uh, the Equal Rights Amendment through judicial fiat, eventually. Right, and regardless of what one thinks about those particular developments, the fact is that they they lied when they said that this was not something that was ever going to happen uh, if their ideolo ideology were carried through. You know, it's the old, uh, well, it, it'll never happen here, but then eventually it does. And uh, Phyllis Schlafly, of course, was a, a, a woman who uh, was a, a hero to conservatives, but was hated, hated, hated by feminists uh, uh, for her views, even though she was a woman. She's actually the person who coined the term when she ran for Congress. She came up with that slogan, a woman's place is in the house 
and in the Senate. And you see that now being used by uh, by people on the left, and they, of course, have no idea. And that former Congresswoman no Pat Schroeder claimed to have coined the term. Yes, which was many a years. A woman's place is in the House. Wasn't that the name of a... Uh, self-promoting memoir she released, and, and that of course was many years later after Phyllis right. Schlafly used it. But but going back to the the, the march and the people participating in it, and of course you had Madonna talking about uh, when you know she's thought about blowing up the White House, and I I get it, she's just some stupid singer who shouldn't be paid attention to, except they're putting her up there as their spokesperson. And obviously, if somebody on the other side said anything anywhere close to that, you would have the Secret Service immediately wrestling them to the ground, or at least calls for that to happen. And then there was the incredible Ashley Judd. Uh, And again, this is not uh, a nobody. This is not somebody who uh, isn't a well-known political activist. She was the person the Democratic Party wanted to run for the U.S. Senate uh, in Kentucky in this last election against Rand Paul. Are we going to have a poetry reading now, Dr. Allen? Uh, well, because I would really love that. She said, she said, uh, and and uh, part of this, I guess, is she's quoting this uh, this poem that, which of course, you know, often people will do that. They'll they'll try to put it off on the person they're quoting, but she's the one that's actually saying the words. Uh, she referred to herself, of course, as a nasty woman. That's a reference to. Trump saying that about Hillary, and Hillary was an, a nasty woman in the sense that she was a nasty person and she was a woman. Well, it seems Ashley Judd is also pretty nasty. Yeah, and uh, as a, you know, so so she said uh, that uh, we have a mustache traded for a toupee. Nazis renamed the cabinet electoral conversion therapy. The new gas chambers shaming the gay out of America, turning rainbows into suicide. I am not as nasty as racism, fraud, conflict of interest, homophobia, sexual assault, transphobia, white supremacy, misogyny, ignorance, white privilege. Your daughter being your... Well, I'll just go on to say she, she, she talks about Donald Trump fantasizing about his daughter. And that, uh, and that was totally unfair. Donald Trump does not wear a toupee. Okay. So, uh, and, and also, uh, Ashley Judd, who at one point wanted to be the senator from Kentucky, uh, talks about uh, the, maybe the South actually is going to rise again, maybe for some. It never really fell. And she talks about the Confederate flag and so on. And, of course, Kentucky was a state that was uh, claimed by both the Confederacy and the, and the Union, uh, and, uh, and they, they went back and forth, but has a, a lot of Southern in its culture. Uh, and so here's somebody who wanted to wanted to be a senator from Kentucky and yet was you know, cutting down Southerners and, and making really bigoted comments about Southerners. Um, and, the, and, re- and remember, this was the week when, uh, what was the, uh, the Su- Saturday Night Live writer who said the, uh, the, made the joke about Barron Trump, uh, the son, the 10-year-old son of the president, uh, that he would be the first homeschool shooter. And, uh, and this is the kind of thing... he was going to climb up in a, in a, in a, in a tower... At a university or something, and start uh, open fire. Right, know? right. So people people feel that they can attack the the, the family members. In fact, of those who are, after all, deplorable. And right. I guess that's and one look, of the and things. And look what if they did. They're making fun of Sarah Palin and her and her members of her family. Oh yeah, and uh, Sarah Palin. They made fun of her accent, which of course was a people in that part of Alaska have what's essentially a, a Minnesota Wisconsin accent because that's who settled uh, the Matsu Valley. And uh, but that accent became uh, they used it the way they use a Southern accent to indicate that a person is stupid in a comedy sketch. Uh, but they're not bigots or anything. Uh, and uh, and then on Saturday Night Live this last week, of course, they had two sketches in the first uh, ten minutes that referred to Donald Trump being a a Russian spy because we all know Donald Trump is a Russian. spy spy because he was spied on they got blackmail material and all 
all that stuff that that left has been putting out there. Uh, one one of the people who does this is uh, or Senator Coons, uh, and uh, you know he's the Delaware. Uh, yeah, and he's he's the, the be- you mean the bearded Marxist. <laughs> so well, he's the one who uh, who got elected uh, um, uh, in part because his opponent, his Republican opponent, was painted by people as a witch. No, but she was not a witch. She said so. She was not a witch. Uh, she had made some comment on a Bill Maher show years earlier, a, a comedy show. Uh, talking about how in high school she hung out with the Wiccans, and uh, they turned this into that she was a witch. And uh, and but it's okay for for Democrats uh, to uh, to say that uh, Republican is a witch. Uh, that's not sexist. That's not I don't know what's the term for being anti-witch. There's got to be a, a there's got to be an ism for that. Wic- uh, wic- wicophobic? Yeah, I, I'm not sure. But uh, and then of course at the end of Saturday Night Live they had. Uh, a couple of the uh, cast members there sing a song. One of them, one of the cast members, was the person who did the White House correspondence dinner routine a couple of years ago, uh, Cecily Strong, and she was in that routine supposed to skewer the president of the United States. But of course, she loves the president of the United States, uh, Barack Obama, that is, and uh, she she. And this was made clear on Saturday Night Live when. Rather than come up with a comedy sketch about Barack Obama leaving the White House, because I guess it was just too hard to write about such a wonderful man leaving the White House. It was just so traumatic for all those Saturday Night Live writers. Yeah, they they, they sang the song to Sir with Love, and uh, so that we don't have to pay a fee, I won't recite the lyrics, but let's just say this is a song well, by, of devotion. By, by, by uh, Lula. Lula? Lulu? Lula, Lulu it, or Lula? I think it was Lulu. Okay, Lulu. Yeah, yeah. Not yeah. Petula Clark. Uh, no. Close though. Okay, close. Yeah, they're almost this, almost the same person. And that was about a that was about a black teacher who goes to teach in a nasty part of London called Brixton. Oh, there you go. So in you remember 60s. that part? Yes, yes. So so, so it that, has absolutely nothing to do with President Obama. Nothing to do, but but it's a, a song of devotion, and uh, and it showed that that's they were devoted to him, and that's why throughout the eight years he was president, uh, you couldn't find those funny sketches you're always used to having on Saturday Night Live. It, the only ones they would do about Obama were uh, ones about how he's just too nice a guy and he's too intellectual and he doesn't take on those evil Republicans well, in a And they would pick up way. on his own little self-deprecating jabs, which really weren't that self-deprecating, about how he's a skinny kid with a funny name and big ears. Right. Yeah. You could make fun of his ears. That was That was okay. Uh, and they, they did that. I think there was one sketch that they did on a Thursday night episode of Saturday Night Live that for some reason they did, uh, and that was a little negative toward Obama, and that was it for the whole eight years that uh, that he was president. Well, uh, the Democratic National Committee is trying to pick a new chair, and of course, in this age of the kind of uh, activities we saw during the inauguration, you can see the Democratic Party moving to the left, right? Amazingly. They are moving to the left. That's right. Um, Sarah Boynton Brown, the executive director, I think, of the Idaho Democratic Party, uh, gave a presentation at a, a few days ago at a, a DNC uh, chair all-candidates meeting, and she said that white people need to learn to, to shut their mouths and that she, as a white person, doesn't get it, but... She's happy to tell other white people to zip it because white people just don't get it. And she even threw in a little a little patronizing y'all at one point during her speech. <laughs> y'all, don't, y'all know what I'm saying, that kind of thing. Um, not that she would know it was something she wouldn't, she apparently didn't normally say. So 
y'all know when you're trying to uh, to patronize and to to pander to people. People uh, at the same and. Uh, that was controversial, received uh, um, quite a bit of media play, but um, more as an oddity than as, uh, you know, as, as something that was truly awful, uh, the media, because the media is already there and the Democratic Party is already that, uh, that nutty. I should say another candidate, the uh, Muslim terrorist tied Keith Ellison, Democratic uh, congressman from Minnesota, uh, at one point during that all-candidates forum, uh, said that Trayvon Martin in Florida had been executed. He used that word, executed, and that that was an injustice. And we all know he wasn't executed, uh, and it was sad that he died, but it certainly wasn't unjust. In fact, one could make the argument it was completely just, because he was killed by someone he was trying to murder. So, anyway, but this myth persists among the Black Lives Matter uh, uh, racist crowd and its supporters like Keith Ellison that um, uh, America's a police state and that there are roving death squads going around carrying out extrajudicial executions of minorities, um, which is something out of, um, out of a dystopian sci-fi uh, horror movie, not something that actually reflects what's going on uh, in reality. Yeah, and for those who are out there whose heads might be about to explode because we said something negative about Trayvon Martin, I would simply point out that if you go back and look, you'll see it, it's on it's online the uh, testimony of uh, his girlfriend who was on the phone with him during the incident and explained what happened, who also went on uh, Piers Morgan's show on CNN and elaborated on this. And we now know that the reason he... Uh, Trayvon Martin laid in wait and attacked George Zimmerman was that he thought he uh, George Zimmerman was a gay guy who was following him. Uh, and uh, he didn't want to have, a, as she described it, a situation where he would follow him home and rape his brother. Uh, because, of course, we all know that's what gay people do. They, you know, they'll, they'll stalk you in the middle of the night and follow you home and rape your brother. And therefore, they must be given, as she put it, whoop-ass. And uh, that's how you uh, that's how you make sure that they learn their lesson. And that's apparently uh, what uh, Trayvon Martin, according to her, she was on the phone with him at the time. She gave great detailed uh, description. And it's funny because, uh, you know, all the lefty uh, groups that uh, very uh, much covered that case, every little detail, uh, every every nuance of what happened in that case. But they left out all the things that made them look bad. And then they certainly left that part out, uh, but uh, that's absolutely true. So this is this is who became an icon, someone who was paid tribute to at the Democratic convention, and who now uh, the person who's running for chairman of the Democratic Party, chair of the Democratic Party, uh, cites, uh, and uh, and that's what you have to do. That's what you have to do. That's how far the Democrats have moved in the extremist direction, unfortunately. Uh, although I know some Republican strategists who were very happy that uh, the uh, you have the march, you have this kind of thing going on with the DNC race as indications that the Democrats just didn't learn anything from the election that just took well, place. Well, and, and they didn't. So uh, Barack Obama started his political career uh, with a an event in the home of the most famous terrorist in America prior to prior to Timothy McVeigh, and that's a woman named Bernadine Dorn, uh, along with her 
husband and fellow terrorist with whom she once was on the lamb and on the FBI most wanted list, uh, Bill Ayers. And that's uh, the house where Barack Obama uh, started his race for the state Senate with the big event there. And uh, by the way, I wrote about it back in the 90s. I was writing about the outrage that the Democrats were holding fundraisers at the home of Ayers and Dorn in Chicago. And when I wrote this story, people at first didn't believe me because it was so insane that the Democrats would pick out a terrorist or a couple of terrorists and have events at their house, but they were doing that. And Barack Obama launched his career there. Well, he then closed his career by uh, freeing some uh, some folks from from prison who have done great harm uh, to the United States, uh, commuting sentences, uh, giving pardons and so forth, uh, mostly commutations. Chelsea Manning, of course, uh, who uh, provided uh, secrets that got you people killed. You mean Bradley killed. Manning, don't you? Well, I, I tend to let people call themselves whatever they want, even when they're monsters who got uh, people killed. Uh, and uh, I, 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 I'm one of those, I don't think that people who are, who are you know, going through the process of transitioning to another gender. I don't think they're doing it for fun. I think, uh, you know, getting body parts cut off is kind of a drastic thing. Uh, that hasn't happened yet, but that's, uh, and I think we're still on the... Hey, if Bradley Manning does that, then I can respect that. Then I'll call him Chelsea. Okay, okay. And and I, but I think we're going to end up having to pay for it. I think they it's been arranged so that uh, of course the taxpayers we will. will end up having to pay that. And then I, I should just add, before we go into something else, that these terrorists who... who held a fundraiser for Barack Obama when he was running for Illinois State Senate in 1995. In their living room in the Hyde Park neighborhood of Chicago, Bill Ayers and Bernadine Dorn showed up at the inauguration on Inauguration Day. And I know this because I saw them at about 1130 in the morning in the flesh coming out of the Federal Center Southwest Metro Station with tickets for the inauguration ceremony in hand. Uh, so I guess that just goes to show, goes to reinforce my earlier point that it, this is not a cel- They were certainly not there to celebrate Donald Trump. Uh, it, it, the inauguration festivities are a celebration of the peaceful transfer of power. Yeah. The, <laughs> the, uh, uh, another, e- even, even for terrorists, even for terrorists. So another, another one of these commutations that we had was, uh, a, a fellow who was a Puerto Rican nationalist, uh, and uh, that was uh, uh, Oscar Lopez. Uh, and um, the this is someone who uh, was uh, an official of the FALN. Now, that was the Puerto Rican nationalist group. 130 bombings back during the, mostly in the 1970s. Uh, they attacked the famous Francis Tavern in, in Manhattan. Uh, they bombed, uh, a, there were a series of bombs in Manhattan, forcing 100,000 workers at one point to evacuate their offices. People forget all of this. They Did, think that 9-11 they was something their way into the U.S. House, House of Representatives and riddle uh, it with bullets? Well, that was back in the 50s, and actually the guy who was uh, my congressman, that was before I was, that part was before I was born, but that, uh, the con- my congressman was one of those who was shot. Your uh, congressman in utero? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but back to uh, back to what they uh, we were doing during this period for this uh, terrorist who was, whose sentence was commuted by Barack Obama, they plotted to kidnap President Reagan's son, uh, they held uh, people at the Bush headquarters and the Mondale was, headquarters. Was that Ron? Hostage. Ron or Michael Reagan? That was Ron, yes. Well, would that have been so much of a loss. They tried to blow up a nuclear power plant. This, these are the people. And by the way, he had turned down. He had turned down a uh, commutation back in 1999 under the under the Clinton administration. Fortunately, the only one. Uh, and he had turned it down because it would have required him to renounce violence, and he did not want to renounce. And as violence. well, he did. I understand he didn't want to leave his comrades behind who were 
still in prison. Well, that was kind of the cover story, but mainly it was that he didn't want to renounce violence. Maybe he stole that story from John McCain. Yes, and uh, and also, uh, uh, this is Guantanamo, so it's a slightly different thing, but uh, we have the, the personal bodyguard of Osama bin Laden, who is believed uh, to have been one of the people training for participation in 9-11. Uh, and he ended up not being one of those that was actually involved, but he did train for participation in it. So I guess that means it's okay to release him from uh, Guantanamo. And of course, at the same time, we have people who are fleeing Cuba, as we've mentioned on previous show, who uh, now are being are going to be sent back, at least unless President Trump can change the policy quickly, uh, are going to be sent back to Cuba. Uh, and uh, there was actually a, a comment on CBS regarding these refugees from one of the most murderous, hateful dictatorships in the history of the world, which is the uh, Cuba of Fidel Castro and now his brother. Uh, and regarding those refugees, CBS said that Cuba agreed to take them back. They agreed to take them. Isn't that sweet? Uh, that sounds so nice. They agreed to take them back for a few weeks until they can torture and murder them. Exactly. So so this is an administration PolitiFact that... would rate that statement from Cuba true. <laughs> So this is this is a president who started his career with extremists, and uh, by the way, there was much closer relationship with Bill Ayers and Bernadine Dorn than you would get just from the fact that he had this event at their house, and we'll detail that on a, on a later show. But but uh, here uh, you have a, a a president who started his political career associating with terrorists and ended uh, ended his political career helping out terrorists, and uh, it just comes full circle. Is that that arc we keep hearing about, the, the arc, arc of history? The bends towards progress or something? Yeah. The arc of history? Brins uh, how justice. can we be so sure that President Obama's political career is over? After all, after his current vacation, I think, isn't he in uh, Palm Springs, California, with his wife and family members? He's rented a, a, a mansion uh, in the Calorama part of town of D.C., Embassy Row, and he's going to be staying here to fight for his legacy. So maybe it's not fair to say that his political career is over just yet, because he's 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 not going to uh, he may not be able to do anything to stop Obamacare, for example, from being repealed. But he can certainly make a lot of he can certainly scream and uh, and throw temper tantrums uh, while it is being done. And there's no question the media will cover him. Well, that that prospect is very uh, heartening to Republicans. That Barack Obama, he'll be about a mile from where we are in our offices, uh, that he would be the leader of the opposition because this is a fellow who's brought his political party to its lowest point in history in terms of office holders. And, uh, and there are a lot of Republicans who would just love to have Barack Obama continue to be involved in our country's politics. So uh, that's our show for this week. We'll be back next week, and we hope you'll join us. Please follow us at the Capital Research Center on Facebook, on our YouTube channel, and at Capital Research on Twitter. I'm Dr. Stephen J. Allen. And I'm Matthew Vadim, Senior Vice President at the Capital Research Center and Editor-in-Chief of BombThrowers.com. Please watch our mini-documentary, uh, America Under Siege Civil War 2017, at our YouTube channel for Capital Research Center or at DangerousDocumentaries.com. And thanks for listening.